Are you accepting it? No, of course no. not. Rubbish. The government is not accepting it. Well, Welcome to Two Grumpy Hacks, the podcast. I'm Malcolm Farr, and of course, we're with Dennis Atkins. And this is the year of the fire hose of falsehood. Hello and welcome. This is number 16, podcast number 16 for the year. It's been a pretty noisy week, what with drums of war and rattling of sabres and lots of discussions about why the head of a Department of Public Servant was announcing government policy on the on the great China threat. But politics was moving along as it normally does at an interesting pace. And Dennis, in Tasmania, the weekend elections, it would seem that the Liberals will come back possibly with a, a, a majority. Uh, is this confirmation that COVID incumbency is the, the greatest protection a government can have at the moment? Well, it is to an extent. I mean, the the Liberals, uh, if they do come back with a majority, and I think it is more likely than not that they will, that means that they've improved their position because they went into the election in, a, in an effective minority, uh, having lost one of their votes on the floor of the parliament. Uh, so therefore, they've improved their position. So therefore, that's a, a win. Um, now, they didn't get the huge endorsement that the Western Australian electorate gave to the McGowan government or even the um, relatively uh, positive endorsement that the Queensland uh, voters gave to Anastasia Palaszczuk. So, you know, um, yes, it, it has shown yet again that if you perform reasonably well uh, looking after the uh, pandemic uh, and, and all of its consequences, um, then the voters will reward you. Uh, but it, it, if, if Peter Gutwin uh, was looking for something sort of uh, Western Australian-like, he didn't get it. Maybe he thought that, uh, you know, the shine is actually coming off uh, the, the uh, pandemic incumbency, uh, um, you know, magic lantern. Uh, and... Um, uh, if, if he didn't get in now, when the election was officially due uh, in 12 months' time, uh, it, it, it might not be such uh, a um, safe prospect for him. So, you know, I, I, I think, yes, incumbency still works. The Liberals got out of it better than they went in. Uh, but, you know, does it mean that uh, incumbency is all that it was? Possibly not. No, I, uh, it, there could be special Tasmanian circumstances, but I there always are. There, there always <laughs> are across that little bit of water, and the world changes. But uh, yeah, look, I, I, I think the premier, the return premier, won't be uh, won't be complaining too much. Now, speaking of complaints, what's happening up your end of the world, where strange things happen as well? Because we see that James McGrath, a backbencher liberal, has won pre-selection over a sitting Morrison uh, minister. 
in uh, uh, Amanda Stoker. Now, th this is extraordinary because it does mean that Mr McGrath has a better chance of winning at the election we expect next year than uh, Senator Stoker, meaning a backbencher, might be chosen ahead of um, a prized member of Prime Minister Scott Morrison's uh, uh, woman in a, in a circle. Uh, th this is going to get rather messy, isn't it? Because um, Amanda Stoker is going to be uh, agitating viciously, and, and she is known for um, uh, uh, the odd vicious agitation, uh, to come out on top in the election, possibly at the expense of Mr McGrath, even though the local party says they want Mr McGrath, Senator McGrath elected, rather than Senator Stoker. What's going to happen? Uh, well, I, I mean, I think that James McGrath will win. He'll win easily as number one on the ticket. Uh, and the way that the LMP works in Queensland, uh, you know, as you hinted, we, we do things differently up here in just about every sphere of uh, public and private life. Um, so uh, number two is uh, Matt Canavan uh, from the National part of the LMP, and then Amanda Stoker uh, sits at number three. Now, that makes it a riskier proposition in terms of her own election. Um, she may get there, uh, you know, in, in, if, if the electoral stocks of the... Um, uh, the federal coalition uh, are as good next time around as they were in 2019, she will definitely get there. Um, uh, so, you know, but it does make it harder. But this was a rebuff for Scott Morrison. Scott Morrison said uh, back in um, uh, February, March, you know, when he was having all of his trouble with, uh, with women and attitudes to women and responding to all of the problems um, from Brittany Higgins sort of right through to ev everything else um, we saw then, uh, that he wanted, one of the things he wanted, it was almost top of his list, was he wanted to get more women pre-selected for the Liberal Party. Well, he's failed. Uh, you know, he, he's failed to get a woman into the safe pre-selection seat on the Senate ticket in Queensland. Um, I think that he's going to struggle getting a woman up uh, to replace Andrew Lamming in the seat of Bowman uh, after Andrew, Andrew Lamming got his marching orders. And, you know, sort of um, extraordinarily and, and quite unremarked, uh, you know, the seat of Warringah, which was Tony Abbott's old seat, taken... Um, uh, uh, by a, a uh, female independent... Charlie Stegall. Star, yeah, sorry, I was struggling with her, 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 her Christian name. Yeah, yep. <laughs> uh, you know, he had Mike Baird, the former New South Wales Premier, around the Kirribilli House to uh, ask Mike Baird uh, whether he'd stand for the Liberal Party. Um, Mike, Mike Baird's not a woman. <laughs> no, he's not. And and uh, he said he was doing other things and, and he, he he politely turned down the Prime Minister. So, you know, look, you know, uh, I, I think that the Queensland LMP has rebuffed the Prime Minister pretty comprehensively here. Uh, and it is another lesson for Scott Morrison that the rank and file of the Liberal Party, uh, whether they're in Queensland or anywhere else really, don't like being told what to do.
Yeah, particularly in Queensland, I would suggest. Now, we, we had an email from uh, one of our listeners, Mick from Northcote, who posed a question about uh, comparing the uh, procurement of vaccines in Israel with the uh, program here in Australia. But then uh, he changed his mind and he said, and I quote, ignore that, please dedicate entire next episode to discussion of the evil one. Now, that, that, that's a reference to uh, the Prime Minister's uh, speech, 23 minutes of, uh, of uh, essentially preaching to um, people who were indeed the converted uh, at a Gold Coast convention. There's, there's been lots of hand-wringing uh, and gnashing of teeth recently over godless journalists intruding or scrutinising the Prime Minister's uh, faith or his religious beliefs. And you know, the argument being that political leaders, like anybody else, are entitled uh, to uh, worship the God they want to. And, and, and brought to them is that perfectly right and correct. Uh, but when those beliefs, when that faith intersects with politics and taxpayer money and the, the rights and entitlements of taxpayers, then they should be scrutinised. And Scott Morrison has hit that intersection point on at least two occasions, possibly three. One is that trip to the uh, to the convention, the Australian Christian uh, Convention, where he gave a speech saying that uh, God had given him a sign that uh, he should keep going in the election. Um, and the reference to the evil one was the Prime Minister. Look, I don't know what he was suggesting, perhaps thinking that suggesting the devil had a had a TikTok account or something, but he said the evil one operates within social media. Uh, and the taxpayer paid for all that up and back to the Gold Coast and uh, no transcript was provided, um, even though he was there as Prime Minister, not, not as just a, an ordinary worshipper, as Prime Minister. Uh, I, I think these, these questions, such as, again, about how he tried to get uh, the Hillsong pastor into a White House dinner and then lied about his failed attempt until he couldn't, could lie no more and had to uh, admit, yes, he had tried and failed. I mean, these are things that taxpayers should know about. It's got nothing to do with intrusion on a prime minister's uh, religious beliefs. It's a, it's a matter of accountability. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and, and also, let's not... Uh, um you know, brush aside the question of consistency. I mean, you know, sort of, uh, I find it incredible. Uh, we've got a prime minister who uh, at, at certain times attacks social media and says it's evil and it's, it's awful. And at other times announces government policy on social media or puts out important statements at 11 o'clock at night on social media um, you know the the uh, the consistency of this guy uh, is uh, close to non-existent. You know it, it, it. You know it's almost as if he he sort of uh, wakes up in the morning and his first thought is how can I get through the next news cycle? I mean, look, you know, the, there was one thing which, and I I find it quite extraordinary that this has been almost unnoticed um, at, a, at a national level in terms of commentary and, and reporting. Uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were told early in the week that the country was going on a war footing to get the vaccination 
program back on track and National Cabinet was going on a war footing. It was going to meet twice a week. And it did. It met twice a week for one week. It is now back to weekly meetings after one week. I mean, you know, just... Uh, you know, was, was, that, was that just the Prime Minister wanting to sort of get himself out of a sort of uh, tight corner and through a news cycle? Oh, look, uh, I, I think Scott Morrison liked... One reason why he liked the National Cabinet uh, process was that afterwards he could hold a press conference and say whatever he liked because he knew it had the authority, not just of his office, but those of the premiers as well. So as if he was speaking for the gang, uh, uh, but getting all the glory for whatever the gang might have decided. It, it was a win-win for him. He, was, uh, he, he, he could get the political kudos uh, and, uh, and, and be um, applauded for the, for the policy moves. Um, it, 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 it's one, yeah, one of the the great uh, episodes of um, <laughs> of claim jumping in terms of uh, uh, a policy that uh, that uh, we've seen in Australian politics, and that's fascinating what you say. We've gone back to uh, one a week. What, what what does that say about the enthusiasm of the premiers for this process? Well, I think their 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 enthusiasm is. Uh, they like it when it works well and, and they think that it still has uh, a, a, a purpose uh, and so therefore they're, you know, they're not prepared to sort of let it go. But I think that uh, you know, in terms of it being a team effort, I think their enthusiasm for that uh, faded sort of sometime about the middle of last year when the Prime Minister would uh, hold press conferences and say how um, wonderful it was to be working with all the premiers uh, at the same time as some of his ministers, uh, like Alan Tudge, Dan T, and Peter Dutton, uh, would go out and whack whack the premiers, especially uh, you know Dan Andrews and Anastasia Palaszczuk, um, you know, and and the Attorney General at the time. Um, uh, Christian Porter w was uh, taking the Western Australian Premier to court uh, over his border policy. You know, so you know the the enthusiasm sort of waxed and waned. At the moment, I think that uh, uh, they're happy to have it there, uh, but the the Premier's enthusiasm, I think, has faded quite a bit. Look, one thing which we we heard not so much from the Prime Minister about in the past week, but from uh, the Treasurer. Um, Josh Frydenberg is an incredible uh, about face on fiscal policy. I mean, fiscal policy is now back in in in, in vogue, and and you know, spending spending is the new uh, black, and, uh, uh, and debt and deficit are yesterday's uh, heroes or or villains or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the hair shirts are back in the cupboard, aren't they? Uh, yeah, no more austerity so that the the budget is all skin and bones. It's going to be packed with lots of fat, lots of spending. Uh, um, you might recall that uh, it, it yeah, the, the, the prime minister has has a stark ability uh, to to make promises that he can't deliver and do it very loudly. So you might remember we had snapback uh, of the economy. Uh, that's the way the economy is going to return after the uh, pandemic. Well, the pandemic's still going, uh, and there's no sign of a, a snapback anywhere. So there's going to have to be 
a, uh, a, a huge pumping up of the economy uh, through government spending and government provisions, which which makes sense, particularly if there is uh, a certain amount of um, of dough ready to be spent. Uh, I mean, this government is is tossing money around on all sorts of projects. It's added three hundred million dollars to a Northern Territory defence. Uh, 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 program, which was to have cost something like uh, four and a half million, is now going to cost something like seven and a half million, which was all for show. Uh, we, billion, uh, we, I think. Uh, but, uh, billion. Uh, uh, 475 billion, you say. All right. Um, but it was, it was more for show than anything else. Uh, and um, it, it does have some good ideas, such as uh, helping uh, promote childcare because that is a huge expense for for young couples with a couple of uh, preschool age children. Childcare is really expensive, and you have young couples who can't afford to not work, and yet can't afford to work because of the huge burden uh, of childcare uh, fees. So, help in that direction. No matter who wins the, elect, uh, the election, will be uh, well received. But yeah, this is a real change uh, of attitude, and you've got to suspect, got to suspect, certainly in the part of the prime minister, it has a lot to do with uh, the next election, which we expect in roughly twelve months' time. Indeed, if not before. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, look, uh, we have had some emails in the listener mailbag. And uh, one of them from, um, from oh yes, from, from Richard from Adelaide. He wants a bit more information about the intro. Uh, you, you hear this uh, conversation going on. It's Paul Keating talking to then uh, Labor Speaker Stephen Martin in Parliament. Uh, and it, it would I don't know the exact details, but it would seem to me that the Howard opposition was trying to move a motion of some sort and uh, Keating had rejected it uh, as he said, no, it's, of course not, it's rubbish and and Steve Martin uh, had had accepted his uh, rejection and probably had gone to a, uh, a division but it, uh, it, it's a very catchy uh, exchange um, and uh, can we go to also oh, where am we? oh yeah Here's an interesting one. See how you meant. Mick from, uh, uh, sorry, Adam from Perth. Are Royal Commissions another tool to kick the can down the road? He writes. If a problem becomes so obvious and prolonged that a Royal Commission is necessary, what is the motivation for a government to act after a Royal Commission if they would not act before? That, that, pretty reasonable question i think because we've got a uh, a rash of royal commissions at the moment haven't we yes we have and uh you know we'll 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 see we hope uh in the budget which is coming down uh in a week and a bit uh just what the government's response is going to be to one of those royal commissions which is the royal commission into aged care which was announced just after scott morrison became prime minister which seems like uh, a lifetime ago um, and uh, so yeah, hopefully they'll spend a hell of a lot of money um, but how much of it will be uh, sort of spread out over not 
uh, one budget cycle, but two or possibly three budget cycles. So, you know, yes, it's a long road. Yes, there's a big can and there's plenty of kicking going on. And I think Royal Commission's are a way of uh, kicking the can down the road. They're a way of, uh, you know, not having to do the hard work, um, you know, that government should be doing uh, with a sense of urgency. Because I've got to say that when Scott Morrison became uh, Prime Minister, the failures and the shortcomings in the aged care sector were apparent and urgent. They'd been neglected by previous governments, Labor and Coalition, uh, and to have another Royal Commission and sort of put things off so that now here we are in 2021, still waiting for a comprehensive response is a national disgrace. Okay, if you want to send us uh, questions, we, we don't have time for, for all your emails, I'm afraid, sent to two grumpy hacks. That's numeral two grumpy hacks, one word, uh, at gmail.com. Uh, and we particularly uh, like the fact that uh, we have some overseas listeners. Uh, Kenny from Oxfordshire had asked whether Kevin Rudd was doing a better job as opposition leader than Anthony Albanese. Uh, and um, I, I think our general opinion is uh, that anybody would be better than uh, Kevin Rudd in any job you could name. Uh, uh, but if you have a question, please put it in, in the in the email and we'll try to get to it. And the budget next week uh, after Mother's Day. So uh, we'll give you our, our preview then. In the meantime, it's goodbye from him. And it's goodbye from me.